Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Charlie Kane to my Harry Kane. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, I tell you what, so many transfers have happened, haven't there, over the, over the past few weeks. I mean, of course, it's the transfer window, stating the obvious, but everyone who could have left this summer is seemingly already gone or on their way out. And that's... That seems a bit crazy that all these players have gone, all these big names from the championship. Wait, you mean these players have had good seasons and clubs are interested in buying them? Whoa, crazy situation right. to be in. I could, if I had a million pounds, I would have bet on you saying something stupid then. My point <laughs> is, quite often you have these big names and you say, oh, they'll probably leave. But it gets to September and they haven't because they've stuck around because... There's just so many other players who were wanted more by, you know, big Premier League clubs. Mm. Whereas this season, it just seems like everyone's gone. To be a bit more logical and boring and not sarcastic, um, it, it, I think the last couple of years where there's been a bit of a hangover from the COVID seasons where incomes dropped, teams are being a little bit tighter in, in what they in what they spend and what they do. Um, we're now into a situation where I think owners and clubs are a little bit more uh, flagrant with their money. They're happy to spend a little bit more and that's absolutely fine. And we're probably seeing the effect of that. I mean, not too long ago, Brentford were selling players for loads of money in the championship, weren't they? And mm. it was it was no it was a normal process. It was a normal thing. And I think clubs are just willing to take that take take the big money once again and, and reinvest it. So I think it's normal. You you seem surprised, but that that's you. You you're always surprised. No. No, no, I'm not surprised by it, Justin. I'm just saying, like, usually there's a few big names hanging around. And don't get me wrong, there's still plenty of talent in the championship. But it seems like the top talent have really been hoovered up by uh, the Premier League clubs this year. But that, that's just my view on it, view on it anyway. Uh, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through all the games from the past weekend in the championship. Of course, talk about some of the transfer news from the past few days as well. Some big names leaving for big money. The likes of Gustavo Hamer, Alex Scott. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll do the polls as well. And then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. Before we get underway... Ladies and gentlemen, on Twitter now, you can now have your say on all the games from the past weekend. We're doing these things called three-word reviews, where we just get three words from you about how your team did. So if you want to give us your input or have your say on how things went for your team, 
let us know on Twitter or X or whatever it's going to be called next week. Um, and we might give you a shout out on the podcast. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. We're aiming to do it around every 9.30 every Sunday. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. And uh, maybe you'll hear your name mentioned here on the second tier very soon. Let's begin with things at St. Andrews, where Tom Brady was watching as Birmingham beat Leeds 1-0 thanks to a late U- Lukas Jukovic penalty. USA! 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 Old Braders was in a pub in Birmingham before the game, supplementing the finest beverages that Small Heath has to offer. Uh, what, what did you make of that, Justin, first of all? I'll, I'll say um, I was disappointed by it, um, only because... Right here, here we go. Only because, what 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 do what do fans do when they come from overseas, and what do what do other supporters do when when fans come from overseas? You sample every single alcoholic beverage in that pub, and you get absolutely tanked up, so you're steaming. So I was disappointed to see Tom Brady completely coherent in the ITV review show for the championship. He was not. Absolutely pissed, basically. You know, fans should have got him absolutely smashed well, on Guinness well, well, and Jaeger bombs. In, you've got to remember, we're talking about a supreme athlete, a man who was playing NFL football until his 40s. And maybe when he takes in, you know, 10 pints, it just does nothing to him because his body is so much more prepared for these situations than you and I. Just absorbs it straight into his muscles, recycles it quickly. Yeah. He's just in the toilet every 10 minutes, just pissing it out. As, as yeah. you would, well, just recycles uh, it. No, I'm no scientist. Maybe that's the thing. I mean, it doesn't work for me that way. I still get absolutely smashed on three beers, like. Um, but but fair enough to him if that's the case. Then then absolutely. But it is a positive. Look. He's he's investing in this city. Um, he's he's getting to know the locals, which is which is good. If he does it most home games, then great. If he even comes to any more home games throughout the season, I'm skeptical. So, but yeah, you can't knock it, can you? Well, I was surprised he even came to this. I just thought we'd probably see him once all season, mm. but he's at the first home game, so maybe this is the start of things to come. I tell you what, if you want someone to go to the bar to get you some crisps as well, he's the ideal man, isn't he? Gets Massive. you a, a packet of scampy fries, launches them across the room direct, directly into <laughs> your hands. Perfect. And as you say, he is massive as well, which also helps. You know, other situations like, I don't know, if a fight kicks off, you can just launch a pint glass at someone's head from across the room. Well. Stops everything. Maybe don't do that. But you get my point. He, he's just the perfect person to, you know, be on the piss with, I reckon. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I mean... Th- throwing bottles um, and glasses isn't, isn't exactly safe, but at least you know it's going to get to you. Whether or not your friend is going to be able to catch it is, is the other side of it. it you're not, it, there's no elite running backs that are also Birmingham City supporters, so there's, that's a bit of a, a down a downside to it. But I get your point. He's, he's going to be useful in the bar. He, I think he's just tall and got long arms, so he can he can slap his arm on the uh, on the bar ready to, ready to order before anybody else. Also, as we've already established, alcohol doesn't affect him, so he can be the sober one every night and also drive you home. Um, I'm not sure what old Tommy Boy would have made of this game because it wasn't great. One of the most famous men in America has flown all the way from California to watch Luke Ayling and Lee Buchanan kick each other to shit. Um, but it was a great win that's NFL. for Birmingham. Sorry? That's NFL, isn't it? That's, just, that's, that's all he's done for a living. I suppose, but... Maybe he wasn't expecting this, but a great win for Birmingham, wasn't it? And a great way to kick off this new era. All feels 
very positive at Birmingham City for the first time in a long time. It's been a turbulent 13 years, hasn't it? It's it's that that's been that you know, that turbulence over the last 13 years has been the real spark of positivity we've seen this summer because it's just been a normal summer for Birmingham City. I think the investment has been needed, but they haven't done anything. The new owners haven't done anything catastrophically amazing other than bringing Tom Brady, of course. Um, but it's just been a normal summer where things have been normal for Birmingham City, where they where they can look forwards uh, ahead, well, they can look towards the future and, and look, forward to, uh, to look forward to the season. And that's something that's not really been the case over the last few years. They've always been touted for relegation. Um, BSHL essentially neglected the club. There was no relationship between the club and the, the, the fans. So elements like this, Tom Brady going to the public, although it does seem a bit of a uh, menial PR exercise, it builds the excitement, it builds the interest back around Birmingham City, which they haven't had. And, and, and the positive PR spins now around the club, you can't knock it. It's it's a fantastic phase that the club is entering and it's going to be an exciting one. It's going to be an exciting season. Yeah, but I just love the little things that they've done to improve the place. People may have seen pictures of what the tunnel looks like there. Yeah. Now. It's been completely revamped with the Birmingham logo plastered all over the shop, fancy lighting and all that. There's these huge new LED screens outside the ground now. And look, it probably doesn't have a huge difference on the pitch, but these things go a long way with supporters to make people appreciate, look at what these guys are doing for my football club. Um, and, you know, it also helps that they've had a remarkable transfer window where they've spent a lot of money and spent it wisely. Birmingham fans feel like they've got their club back and it's a far cry from where they were even six months ago, where Birmingham looked like a really unattractive club to invest in because of all the debt, a half-built stadium and the owners who are really difficult to negotiate with. And we didn't even know who was actually in charge of Birmingham. So Tom Wagner and his team have come in and they're doing things the right way. And it's great to see. Um, a club which doesn't have a good feel factor around it right now is Leeds United, who have had a Pretty rough week, haven't they? One point from their first two games. Max Aarons was set to sign for them, but did a last-minute U-turn to go to Bournemouth. Crescentio Somerville's out injured for the next month. Willie Nonto refused to play for them in the Cup and against Birmingham because he wants to leave. Daniel Farker said Lewis Sinistera wasn't injured for the game, but was unavailable. So one can probably assume he wants to go as well. What is going on at Leeds? It's chaos, Justin. It is chaos. It's, it's chaos, but it also feels a lot... Like normal leads, because chaos usually follows leads very. It's, um, it's the good days of leads. <laughs> it's the Massimo Cellino years oh all gosh. over again. Oh my god! Uh, I mean, I think Leeds fans will be pretty pleased that it's a far cry from from those years. But you get you get the point, don't you? It's it's not it's not ideal. Um, it's just been it's just been a rough week. Uh, I know. I think the thing that disappoints me most is, is the players wanting to leave. But I'm sure we'll get onto that later. But. That's going to impact what Daniel Farker can do on the pitch and how he can set up his team because he'll have something in mind in terms of putting the team out and then you know those plans pretty much go to go to shit, don't they? Because players aren't interested. It's frustrating, um, and you can't you can't really deny the fact that you've got to feel sorry for him because he's been put in this situation and a lot of it's down to the ownership. Uh, sorry, takeover taking too long to get ratified. That's put Leeds on the back foot. It's you know. All of the situation they're in now is probably symptomatic of of the, the length of time that the takeover took to get done, um, and then you you go into the, the player side of things. It's not been too much movement coming in. There's been a lot of movement going out. It's just been a really difficult period for Daniel Farker to manage, uh, and that's ultimately why I suggested and predicted that Leeds will have a really slow start to the season because, well, I mean, they're experiencing it now because of those reasons. 
well, the atmosphere doesn't seem great behind the scenes there, does it? You look at Leicester, many players have reportedly been persuaded to stay after working with Enzo Maresca and being impressed. Southampton have had plenty of players linked with moves away, but they're just getting on with it. I think Martin has hinted at a, a bit of Southampton being in a bit of a state of flux, but still, they, they seem fine. At Leeds, it's all a bit up in the air, isn't it? You can almost guarantee there'll be at least three or four departures before the window closes, and that's being hopeful. I think the finger of blame has to be pointed at the previous owners. They're the ones who have put these daft clauses in several players' contracts, meaning they could leave on loan if Leeds got relegated. So I imagine players like Sinistera and Nonto have looked around and said, a lot of my teammates from last season have been allowed to leave to play top-level football. Why can't I do the same? And then you've also got the likes of Jack Harrison and Tyler Adams have also been strongly linked with moves away. Leeds are just suffering from the mistakes of the past. And I, I do feel sorry for Daniel Farker because he's been put in a pretty shit situation. Didn't have to deal with stuff like this at Norwich, as far as we're aware. I think this is a real test of him as a manager because this is a thing nowadays, isn't it? Player power. And I think he has come across very well in the media, to be fair to him. But if results don't improve in the near future... Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Everything's everything's a results-based game. You, you, you always say you're only six uh, six losses or six games without a win from the sack, um, but you've you've got to consider that the, the ownership have given Daniel Farker a four year contract. So I hope that they see it as a long term. But the atmosphere, as we know, can turn pretty nasty at Leeds. It's got a habit of doing that. I think the Leeds fans expect a lot of the club. It's a big football club, and that's absolutely fair. But um, I think what they can do now is just is just get behind Farker and the players that are there and wanting to play for the football club uh, and hope the transfer window shuts quite quickly so so Farker knows who he's got for the rest of the season because the situation he's got to manage is, is it's it's a difficult one and I know there'll be a lot of supporters who don't feel too symptomatic um, uh, well, too much sympathy uh, I should say um, because of it's you know it's Leeds and they've come down from the Premier League parachute payments and whatnot but it's it's a difficult one, and as you say, Daniel Fox handled himself well, but it's gonna it's gonna be a few more weeks, I think, of a, uh, of a few more bumps. It's not all bad for Leeds because we've seen plenty of youngsters getting a chance. Archie Gray, Charlie Cresswell, uh, Joe Gellard. Leeds should be building around these guys instead of a bunch of guys who don't want to be there, in my opinion. So it's good to see these guys get given a chance. In a replay of last season's playoff semi-final, Coventry beat Middlesbrough 3-0. Four of Middlesbrough's last five league games have been against Coventry. <laughs> Insane, isn't it? Middlesbrough have won none of those meetings, so they must be absolutely sick of the sight of them. I thought Coventry was sublime here. In a strange way, I thought 3-0 was perhaps a bit generous, but Coventry also could have scored more. I can't provide any further explanation on that. But of course, the big news from this week with Coventry is the departure of Gustavo Hamer. I imagine a lot of people may think they've got no chance of promotion now that he's gone, but this game showed they're still very capable without him. They are, and it's the way that Mark Robin sets his teams up, which is why I rate him uh, as my top manager in the in the championship or the manager I most likely have or most want to have in charge of my team. It was a really impressive display all round, but it was Ben Sheaf and Josh Eccles that were the linchpin of the performance. They they dominated the middle third and that life about Gus Gus Hamer, I think Ben Sheaf stepping up the way he did in this game particularly was was fantastic. Um I mean I, I will allude to Eccles as well, but they both drove the team forward and helped start those counter attacks. It was a really impressive display. 
And going on to Ben Sheaf more specifically, we know what he can do defensively. His defensive side of the game is one of the best in the division. But if he if he can add that final ball to his, his game and he's still got room to improve, um, then Coventry don't need to go out and spend a fair bit of money on replacing Gus Hamer. They can just go and add a bit of depth and know that they've comfortably got someone in there who's can be one of the league's best midfielders. So yeah, Ben Sheaf was ex- uh, excellent. Uh, Josh Eccles was brilliant. And like of Hamer... Seems a distant memory now. Well, yeah, Sheaf was complete and utter class midfield. I mean, what a player he has become over the past couple of years. And it surprises me to be that there isn't more Premier League interest mm-hmm. in him, to be completely honest, because just a total Rolls-Royce player, Justin. Um, <laughs> near £8 million signing, Hadji Wright got his first goal, USA, USA, USA. Uh, Tatsuo Hiro Sakamoto looks like a lot of fun when he came on. He was really exciting. I'm not as worried about Coventry as I imagine a lot of people will be. Of course, Gustavo Hamer is a huge player. Of course he is. But he, if he was still at Coventry in September, I would be feeling more confident about them going up than I do now. But they're a very smartly run club. Coventry will almost certainly have someone else lined up to replace him. It seemed like they did with Victor getting in Ellis Sims and Hadji Wright considering they've expected Hamer to go out the door for so long. I'd be surprised if they didn't have someone in mind to replace him. And they're more than happy to splash the cash based off this window, aren't they? The club's got no debt. They've just made £35 million from two players. So why not go out and spend five, six, seven million on someone? Will he be as good as Hamer? You know, midfielders as him. As good as him don't grow on trees, especially ones who do everything like he did. Mm-hmm. But their recruitment's been extremely exciting this summer. So I've got the faith. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I have the faith as well. And I think that's why, um, I mean, I was a little bit nervous in terms of um, predicting Coventry to mount a, another top six challenge. I think they will. Might, they may or may not fall short, but I, I didn't expect the players to take well, I didn't expect him to go out and spend it as much as they have been so I think that's been the, the real big surprise and absolutely fair fair play to to, to Doug King for that for giving Mark Robbins those tools to to try and be a success because we don't really know what Coventry or Mark Robbins can can provide because he's never really had the backing of his ownership so if he can get that if he can go out and replace Hamer um, then, then then that that'll be brilliant but you look at the players that have got there now Casey Palmer was, was he free transfer last season I think he was a free transfer from Bristol City wasn't he did he it was either a free transfer or a nominal, nominal fee, but he's he looked brilliant again against Middlesbrough and he looks a real tidy player. And they've got Callum O'Hare to come back in as well. So, yeah, things are looking really, really bright, even without Gus Hamer. Because as you say, you'd expect people to be downtrodden, disappointed that he's left and one of the league's best players have gone. I'm disappointed, I'm sad, but I'm actually quite excited now what, what Coventry and Mark Robbins can do with a new set of plays, basically. Middlesbrough are looking poor, though aren't they, Justin? It's the first time they've begun the season with back-to-back losses since 2007. They've now failed to win in their last seven league games carrying on from last season, of course. And they looked very much second best against Coventry. Yeah, they were. They were They were really poor. Coventry were quite rigid. They had that box midfield that Michael Carrick just cannot seem to break down. Um, but they were so flat as well. They were so flat in the first half. It was really disappointing. They did come out in the second um, and were marginally better but they still blew hot and cold too often I go back to a moment in the first half where Silvera was breaking through on a counter-attack and there was just Morgan Rogers in support on the counter they look a shadow of themselves last season where was that drive to get forwards and and punish Coventry there wasn't there just didn't seem to be any oomph for 
or go in, in their attack. It was just so disappointing and so flat, as I say. I don't have too many positives I can really spin. They did get in some good areas, but ultimately a lot, a lot of the individuals fell short and personnel-wise and, and um, team shape and structure, it just didn't work. It just, I go back to the word I keep saying, it was all really flat. There's no other way of describing it other than it being really, really flat. Well, Middlesbrough are arguably the big losers of the transfer window so far, in my opinion. They've made some decent signings. Senny Dieng, Sammy Silvera, Morgan Rogers. These guys could all come good, but if you're comparing the squad of last season to the squad now, they've undoubtedly had the biggest drop-off. Cameron Archer, Ryan Giles, Zach Steffen, Aaron Ramsey. These guys have just not been replaced. And now it looks as if Chew Brackpom is heading out the door as well. And if you hand-picked Middlesbrough's best six or seven players from last season, nearly all of them are gone, Justin. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? And they've not yet been replaced. They've signed a lot of players who've got a potential and they're going to come in and, and improve the squad. But ultimately, are they going to improve that start 11? And that's been the that's been the um, disappointing thing is I don't think many many signings have improved. They haven't bettered the players that they've got. They had their last season, even the loanies. So, yeah, there's a hell of a lot of work to do. And there's I know there's a couple of players lined up potentially coming in over the next couple of days, but there's always a risk that they might not work out. That's just the, That's just the case. Um, and I mean, that's the case of any signing, but to leave it so late again, like they did last season, last summer, is why Chris Wilder started throwing his toys out of the pram. And you can understand why Neil Warnock did the same thing the season before. It's just recruitment hasn't been proactive enough over the last couple of windows. Um, and ultimately, yeah, they, they, they're left chasing their own tails. Well, I feel sorry for Carrick because yeah. he's not really been backed this summer. I know Burrow are probably well aware of... FFP and what have you, um, we know Steve Gibson's very wary of that. It's just a shame when you look at how much money was wasted last summer on the likes of Matthew Hoppy and Matt Clark and Rodrigo Muniz, etc. Because they really could use that money right now. They are set to get in Emmanuel Latte Lath, who's a striker from Atalanta, but they need plenty more, I think, just to get the top six. Never mind looking yeah. towards top two. There was an eight-goal thriller at St. Mary's as Southampton and Norwich drew four all. This game is absolutely mad. Norwich led, then Southampton led, then Norwich led again, and then again before they settled for a draw. Andy on Twitter messaged us saying it's like tennis watching Southampton at the moment, which is a very good summary. Southampton had 31 shots. I get the sense their games could be very entertaining this season because they look great attacking. But if this is anything to go by, Russell Martin's long issues with conceding too many goals, still very much a problem. Still a problem, absolutely. And it's far too early, by the way, to be serving up games like this. Not happy with it. You've got to be rigid in those first couple of weeks of the season. So going in hot on your first home game, <laughs> drawing four all, goodness me. Fair play to Southampton fans because... You're going to go quite a few grey hairs this season if that's going to be the case. But you are spot on in terms of um, those, those, yeah, those Russell Martin sides conceding goals. It's yeah, They've always had a bit of a soft underbelly. They're too easily tickled sometimes. And that's why I was a little bit sceptical because Martin has never been able to shake that off. We, you know, we all thought with better players, he might improve that defensive record. But conceding four at home uh, doesn't convince you of that, really. Of course, there's still there's still um, time to, to, to improve that. And Martin's well aware of the work that he's got to do, but they did look a mess at times out of possession and Norwich were well-structured and they hadn't um, uh, played a sort of a 4-4-2 diamond and um, they looked a threat on the counter-attack and they conceded from a set-piece again. So yeah, there's a lot of things that Martin needs to Martin needs to get sorted if they can be as good at, at um, defending as they are attacking, they'll be a good side, but they aren't at the moment. 
No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, for Norwich's third goal, Jonathan Rowe scored from a corner, but he was completely free. And it wasn't like he got away from his man or anything like that. Before the, cor- before the corner was even taken, no one was marking him. It was absolutely bizarre. Ryan Manning got a nightmare with Norwich's last goal. The first goal, Josh Sargent had the whole of Solent available to him because no one was nearby. And, you know, fair enough to Gabriel Sara for his goal. That was a beauty. But he did have three Southampton players around him. So it's a massive concern. And it's strange that you've got this Southampton squad, which is so full of quality and depth, apart from at centre-half. Yeah, that's, well, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's... They, they they obviously sold quite a few players and I know they're probably going to bring a few in, but ultimately if they aren't getting things right early on, which is why I was alluding to at the point, I did make a joke of it, but if you're quite open and easy to attack against uh, and you look soft and you're not getting the basics right, like marking or blocking runners at corners, um, then it's going to be a long season for you. So yeah, whilst we can ooze and compliment and, and, and while they're passing statistics and their attack at times, if you can't get the basics right defensively, you're not going to get promoted automatically. You might struggle even to get into the playoffs. So that's not a, a, a warning for South. Well, it is a warning for Southampton, but it's not a criticism. It's just a thing that Martin needs to get sorted quickly. Otherwise, it's going to be a long campaign. Does sound like a criticism, Justin. It's, it's, a, it's a criticism, yes, but it's meant as a... Please do better. Please do better. It is constructive. Please do better, Russell Martin, because there's so much potential with this team and you, and you just keep uh, fucking it up. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely put. Um, I have been quietly impressed with Norwich so far, Justin. Only two games in, of course, so we won't get carried away, but they held their own against Southampton. Very much the deserved winners against Hall last week. A lot of that has been down to Gabriel Sara, who is some player, isn't he? He's the definition of, oh, he can hit him, can't he? Mm. Like, it's scary. I bet in the playground he was a nightmare to play with because as soon as he starts pulling that left left leg back, everyone just parted through fear of the ball causing some damage to a stomach or a or a thigh, especially on a cold day. Um, but he's a lovely player to watch. He, he enjoys the physical aspect of the championship as well, which is good. I know it took him a while to get going um, last season, and he's, but he started this season brilliantly. The question I have for him, though, is can he score a normal goal or is it just going to be screamers? Can he just score a tap-in or a goal like Adam Armstrong's last week where it cannons off his arse? Stop being so good at shooting. And there's a lot more to his game than that, but ultimately the the the, you know, the champagne the champagne moments, are, those goals from distance are incredible. Yeah, Norwich need him to stick around between now and the end of the transfer window, don't they? I know I predicted them to finish 19th and what have you, but they should be fine if they keep him around. He is just ridiculously good. Goals, assists, creating chances, running at players, scoring from distance. Unbelievable player. And he was being linked with a move away at the end of last season, but I haven't seen anything strong recently. And I do wonder if David Wagner's perhaps saying to him, you're playing well, maybe just calm down a bit until 11.01pm on the 1st of September, because if he keeps playing as well as he has done in these first two games, then... uh, they could be causing their own problems there. Um, Cardiff won QPR 2. What? Um, this was an Ainsworth shithousing one tick. Cardiff had 15 shots to QPR 7. They also had 65% possession to QPR's 35. They needed this win though, didn't they? Because as we've been saying, the games are only going to get tougher from this point. If they didn't get the win here, they would be deep in it, wouldn't they? 
without doubt, absolutely. Going uh, going your first two games without a win and not really setting the world alight would have been an issue, but this was a fantastic win. I think you saying it, you know, it was a shout performance probably doesn't do it enough justice. I thought the counter the goals were yeah, really interesting. Well, not interesting. Brilliant counter attacks, and they had to grind it out. So, whilst you can say it was a shit house, I think you've got to compliment the ability to to grind the game out, especially a team who conceded so easily as they did last weekend. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can see what you're saying, <laughs> Justin, but I, I'm not sure I'm going to go that far just yet. Because one result, well, <laughs> bloody hell, skeptical's being polite. Um, one result shouldn't change minds on. QPR's chances of staying up, or on Gareth Ainsworth for that matter. I mean, half the team that started against Cardiff completed fewer than 20 passes. You cannot approach every game like that. The problem is, that's the only way Ainsworth knows how to get results, by playing absolutely dire football. So, a long way to go for QPR. Ainsworth has been saying this week that they're looking to only get one or two more players before the window closes. That would worry me because this squad needs a lot more, if you're asking me, including a new manager. Um, so, yeah, a long way to go before um, we start, you know, changing our tune on QPR and more importantly, Gareth Ainsworth. Gareth Ainsworth. Uh, good to see young Sinclair Armstrong getting on the score sheet, though, getting an assist too. He's someone who's been talked about quite highly at Loftus Road and certainly looks sharp here. From a Cardiff perspective, Paul on Twitter says this was deflating, but he's staying positive. With Cardiff, Justin, this is why we weren't getting very carried away with them, wasn't it? Despite the signings, because this was a poor showing. It really was. It, it was disappointing. The lack of ruthlessness that was an issue last season still seems to be a problem. I know if we're only two games into the season, two league games into the season, but it is a difficult mindset to recover. And then when you factor in the signings that they have made, they do come with a bit of an asterisk. Carl and Grant had a poor campaign last season, so too did Josh Bowler. Um, so that you know, they, I thought they got into some good areas and he did create chances but it's that lack of ruthlessness that they were lacking last season uh, and clearly the lack of confidence in some of those players uh, who had poor seasons last season it just, it just it was on show here but the positive I will I will say is that they did create plenty um, which is which is ideal you want to be in that position as long as they're creating chances the margins are fine when it comes to when it comes to balancing the game in their favour they were hit on the counter attack for, for both the QPR goals which Again, when you're playing possession style of football, is always the risk. But there were some elements to to throw some positives in there. But it was it was disappointing, and it uh, you know what Paul said on Twitter, it was deflating. That's the sort of performance that I see from that. Whilst they did uh, create chances, didn't take them. You come away thinking, ah, well, we should have really won that. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure they did create that many good chances, Justin. I mean, the closest they came, apart from the goal, was Ramsey hitting the crossbar from twenty twenty five yards out, and. At the end of the day, you're putting it down to the pure straight of it. Home games won't get much easier this season than QPR at home. Mm-hmm. And Cardiff didn't do enough to deserve anything, in my opinion. Two goals conceded was so simple. We could still be talking now and no one will have put a challenge in on Sinclair Armstrong for that second goal. It was really <laughs> sloppy. And then going forwards, aside from the goal, they didn't offer much. I'd be particularly concerned about Carl and Grant so far. I thought that would be a great signing, but... You know, only if he put his form from last season behind him. From what we've seen so far, he certainly hasn't. I think Alan Ramsey's played well, to be fair to him, but it's difficult if his teammates aren't up to the same level as him. So 
As good a result as that Leeds draw was on the opening day, I'm not seeing much in the way of solid evidence that we were dead wrong about our pre-season predictions of Cardiff so far. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about wins for the top two in the Championship. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast and Ipswich Town atop of the league after beating Stoke 2-0. The two teams we said would be in the top two, Justin, are in the top two. How about that? Maybe we do know what we're talking about. Uh, we asked Ipswich fans on Twitter for their thoughts on this game. Suffolk lads said it was like prime Barcelona. Oh, bit praise. Uh, Masiek says there's a very happy tractor in his household. And Mauricio said, keep underestimating us. What? <laughs> hmm. Underestimating. Did he, think, did he think we should put them even higher in our league table predictions? Yeah, I'm not sure where that's come from. Um, can you hear that, Justin? Is that the engine of the Ipswich are going up tractor starting up? I think it is. It's motoring away, Justin. Are you going to take my hand and get on board? I'm not taking your hand. No, I'm not taking your hand. Uh, you harassed me pretty much every week last season with the Burnley eggs in basket uh, analogy and going up. How did um, that go? They went up to be fair to them, so there's a bit of a good omen there for Ipswich fans. But I'm not, I'm not getting on board your tractor. Um, I mean, firstly, firstly, they're not, um, they're not, you know, automobiles built for passengers. It's illegal, Ryan. <laughs> secondly, secondly, um, we're two games in. Calm down, please. Christ, calm down. Yeah, of course, of course, calm down. <laughs> but you got to remember the preseason predictions. Of course, you had them third or fourth. It's only a place higher, and what we've seen so far has been very, very impressive, hasn't it? it well, yes, it has been impressive. Again, you're going into this game against Stoke, where, uh, again, they, they, those uh, big positives that we talk about, them being so flexible in their in their systems and what have you, that um, was on show here against Stoke. But it's, it's you know one thing sustaining it and yeah, uh, for the full season. And I know you're talking about it's only one or two places higher, but what was, what was the point difference between Sheffield United and, and Luton last season? It was eight or nine points, something significant. So... That's that's the difference, isn't it? Not it's not one or two places higher. It's it's an extra eight or nine points, which is which is a difficult thing to to manage. 
Well, Alex Neal was very complimentary after the game. He said, you've got to give Ipswich credit. They were better than us and deserved the win. He admits he doesn't say that very often about an opposition side, but this is an ordinary opposition. They're just so well coached, so well-rounded, and the atmosphere around the club is electric. And don't get me wrong, I think they need one or two signings before the window closes to be fully there, perhaps even three. But they've taken the two, the championship like a duck to water and their next few games as well. You look at them and you think they could easily win all six of their opening games. Trust me, they're that kind. And well, Justin, shake your head. After, after the podcast is finished, look at Ipswich's next <laughs> four games and tell me they may not very well be on uh, sorry I'm doing the math now 18 points (laughs) (laughs) you tell me they may not very well be on 18 points um, after six games and you know if that is the case that's going to be so huge for continuing their momentum from last season which has already played a part I think in the first two games yeah I I I struggle to approach it with the same enthusiasm as you. I, I do see, see where you're coming from, but also you've got to cont- uh, bring into the, the argument and the mix that championship's never that straightforward. If they are sitting on 18 points after six games, then incredible. It's an incredible start. But again, August is a very different month to November um, and uh, December. It's well, There's that as well. Um, that's the most obvious change is the, the the leaves fall off the trees and the temperature drops by 10 degrees but um, it is it's too early for me to be getting really really behind Ipswich at the moment fair enough we'll just leave you in the muck when, uh, <laughs> when it comes to the tractor taking off and Leicester taking are off. the only other side <laughs> yeah it's taking off it's flying mate uh, Leicester are the only other side to have run both of their Opening games, they beat Huddersfield 1-0. Steffi Mavadidi got the goal and he looks a very exciting player, doesn't he? He, he does. He beat his band for the goal in terms of his finish. I think Lee Nichols should have had it covered. It was a poor error, but yeah, we, we give him some benefit of the doubt. He got himself into that shooting position. But yeah, he does He does look a player. And he's a player, I think, who's continuously been linked with moves to the Championship over the last sort of five years. He's had various moves elsewhere. So I'm glad he's finally, finally arrived and hopefully, yeah, the, yeah, he's getting the platform now to perform at Leicester, but he's probably the exactly type of the exact type of player Leicester needed in that final third work because he can bring a little bit, or a little spark where I don't think there are too many players in that team that can do it. And obviously Harvey Barnes going and James Madison going, those sparks from last season gone. So having someone like Mavadidi in there who who can do that, yeah, is, is a big positive. Yeah, he's spot on. And I will admit when Leicester signed him, I wasn't too enthused. His underlying data at Montpellier wasn't outstanding by any means. He nearly made as many appearances off the bench as he started games. And when you're doing that for a bottom half League 1 side, not outstanding. Because as we've said before, the lower end of League 1 isn't great. But he's looked thrilling so far. Not afraid to run at plays, really direct. I've been impressed and has certainly given Leicester a bit more flair in that final third, which certainly won't go amiss. Enzo Maresca says Leicester are still in a process despite two wins from two, which is fair, isn't it? Mm. Despite the two wins, they've not been amazing so far, but it took Burnley a while to get going last season, didn't it? So if they're not playing amazingly and still getting results, sign of a good team. LCFC head says on Twitter that a win's a win for Fox's sake, says they got (laughs) the job done. So good summaries of uh, that one, I suppose. Huddersfield, 
could have got something here, had some good chances. They're one of four sides yet to win a point this season. In one of a few Yorkshire derbies this season, Hull beat Sheffield Wednesday 4-2 thanks to an Ozen Tufan hat-trick. Carlton Palmer at fault for all of the goals Wednesday conceded. Uh, we asked Wednesday fans for their views on this and Charlie said, we're going down, which is uh, nice yeah. and positive. Um 4-2 seems quite generous towards Wednesday. I think Liam Rosini was frustrated that Hull didn't score more. Isco Munoz was asked of the game where it went wrong. He said, from the first minute. Oh dear, Justin. <laughs> what a bizarre thing to say after your team went 1-0 up. God, I hate, I hate it when my team takes the lead. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Honestly, so what a bizarre thing to say. Um, look, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to gloat. We warned you. Sheffield Wednesday fans, we didn't warn you. Watford fans didn't. We just carried the message. The warning signs are there for Isco. Uh, Wednesday was so, so poor. I sort of seen some of the goals back. I know two fans scored an absolute screamer, but Slater had the freedom of um, the Humber. Is it the Humber? Humber side. Yeah. Yes. You got it. <laughs> I was going to say Humbershire. And I was like, oh, God. I'd get absolutely canned for that. Um, yeah, he had, the, he had the freedom of Humbershire, um, didn't he, Regan Slater, and then squared it to Tufan, who had a really simple job of putting it in the top bin, although that's a difficult thing to pull off, I will admit. I don't do it myself very often, but it was a forward defensive display. It was a mess. Um, the two goals probably flattered Wednesday as well. It should have been a really, really heavy defeat without any reply for Frisco Munoz and his team. And I don't really know where they go from here because... Hull didn't look great against Norwich last week. This should have been a game where they looked at and go, yeah, maybe we can get something from this. But they were absolutely battered. Yeah, the defending was really poor. But that's not surprising, really, is it? Because there were huge concerns about the defensive personnel heading into this season. And that's not really been addressed because you've got Domai Orfer at right back. There were question marks over whether he was good enough to be first choice in League One, never mind the championship. Bambo Diaby was a squad player at Preston last season. Michael Ahikwe and Akin Famuo both struggled with injury last season and I'm not necessarily sure they're championship standard either. So unless they do some serious business, I mean, Wednesday have signed quite a few players in the past few weeks, but they're all players who don't really have any championship experience about them. We don't know too much about them. So it seems like they're just taking a kind of scattergun approach. It's a it's a brave approach because I think when you do sign extensively from abroad, it, you know you do open yourself up to uh, your team taking a while to to gel, your team taking a while to get used to a style of play. You look at Hall last season, for example, quite a few players came from came in um, from abroad. It, it took until Liam Rossini came in in November to get them going. Uh, and I don't think Wednesday, firstly, don't have that sort of budget, and secondly, yeah, it's it, you know. They don't look organised either. It's the, the, the plainest and simplest way of saying it. So, yeah, it looks to be a long season ahead for, for Wednesday. Not not looking good at all. No, certainly not. I don't think Munoz is helping things, but I do feel a bit sorry for him because yeah. he's been dealing with the hands that he's been dealt with. And right now he's got a two and a seven, assuming we're playing blackjack. Um, great win for Hall, by the way. Brilliant way to bounce back after a disappointing performance against Norwich. Preston got their first win of the season by beating Sunderland 2-1. Mads Frockiai Jensen got his first goal in a Preston shirt. Looking more forward to seeing more of him. I know you had your doubts about Preston, Justin. I say doubts. You had them as your underachievers of the season. That's quite doubtful. Um, but I'm looking at their squad and when everyone's fit, it's looking quite good. Take that team that beat Sunderland. Add in Jack Watmore, Calvin Ramsey, Ben Whiteman. 
quite steady. And I'm not saying playoff challenge or anything like that. I think squad depth could be an issue and I'm not totally convinced about Will Keane being first choice striker for a top half side, but still looking nice and balanced, I'd say. It's a nice and balanced squad. Yeah, I still think the attack looks short. I will make one point. I need to make the the phrase, when everyone's fit, I think it should be eradicated from football because when is everybody fit? Let's be honest. You've got like two weeks in April when, when you've got a fully fit squad. That's it. No one's fully fit throughout the entire season. So that sort of variable to add in there, just it just doesn't work. Um, but you are right. But all those players you mentioned there are defensively minded players. Ben Whiteman, Calvin Ramsey, although he adds a little bit more into attack and then Jack Wilmore as well. Defensively, I like them a lot. Going forward is where I think they fall short. And ultimately, I think that's where they're going to struggle to, 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 to win points. It's going to struggle to turn those draws into wins and those losses into draws. So that's where I hang up on on Preston is just don't think they've got enough in attack I, th- I think that's completely fair I, I do agree with you to an extent uh, Mads Frockyar Jensen may say differently though because he certainly looks sharp in this game Andrew on Twitter summed up Sunderland's problems quite nicely he says still no striker and that is certainly the case Sunderland's start is a bit concerning not the easiest of games but they're another one of those four teams yet to win a point do wonder if I could be right with my Tony Mowbray prediction about him not mm. lasting too long. A 93rd minute winner from Matty James saw Bristol City win 1-0 away at Millwall. A cracking result and a cracking goal as well. Of course, the big news with Bristol City this week is the departure of Alex Scott to Bournemouth for £25 million. But evidence here that there's life after Scott? If life after Alex Scott is Matty James scoring 90-odd minute winners via a bicycle kick then I'm pro Alex Scott leaving this should have happened a long time ago if this is what this is yeah if this is the aftermath um but yeah it was it was a a, an interesting performance I don't think we saw the best of Bristol City again or what they can do but if you're winning one nil away from home in the 97th minute then you take that positivity and you take it into your next game and you keep trying to improve so yeah still it's a long way to go for Bristol City and but they've got a nice wedge of cash now to invest so that should be a good thing well, the problem is, Nigel Pearson has said that despite getting 25 million quid, he's not sure how much of that money will actually be available to him. Um, I've got to remember, Bristol City have been recovering from financial spending of years gone by. And, well, Scott's departure has also been compounded with the news that Tommy Conway is also going to be injured for a few months, which is a real shame on that behalf. They obviously do need to replace Scott, don't they? Callum Stiles at Barnsley has been mentioned, which would be a decent signing. But I'm I'm curious, to say the least, about how much money from the Scott deal is actually going to be put back into the squad. Hopefully, it will be a fair bit. Uh, Blackburn came from two goals down to draw 2-2 with Rotherham after the Millers had a man sent off in controversial circumstances. So... Fred Onyedimba scores a great diving header, got a yellow card for celebrating that, and then got a second yellow almost straight away for for gesturing that a Blackburn player should get carded for a foul on him. Let's get one thing straight, first of all, Justin. Funny. Um, But I'm very interested to hear what your thoughts are on this one. I was really, uh, I was disappointed when I saw it. It's petty in every refereeing, isn't it? I said last week, I said last week that the issue you're going to have is referees getting overzealous with the yellow cards. And by sending off Onion Dimmer, you've been overzealous in giving out a yellow card. You don't need to book him for celebrating. Um, and the gesturing probably just needs to tell him off. It doesn't need to be a, a booking. I don't like it. I don't like to see it, but you don't need to give him a yellow card for it. 
you've delayed the restart of the game in doing so. You've created the issue yourself. Your issue as a referee should be to keep players on the pitch, not send them off for petty things. Like Onya Dimmer wasn't sent off for a challenge. He got fouled. Shouldn't have gestured to the referee, but it doesn't warrant a yellow card. It's just so petty and pathetic. Let's... Let me play devil's advocate for a sec, Justin. It is the letter of the law, isn't it? Yeah, but there still has, still has to be some lenience to wanting to keep the game as it is and not, not essentially spoil it, and that's what happened. Um, your job as a referee, as I say, is to keep players on the pitch. You don't need to send them off for these these really minor things. They're not even It's not even worth considering to give a yellow card for them. It's just telling off for the gesturing. That's it. That's all it is. It's, it's just too it's just too far down the other, other way, the uh, other end of the spectrum for me. No, I, I do agree. And it, it is two of the softest yellow cards you'll ever see. I, I do think it is the letter of the law, so I can understand it to an extent. I actually think it's more outrageous he got the first yellow card for celebrating with the fans. It's not like he's took his top off and gone into the stands and he's swinging it around his head or anything like that. He's literally hugging a supporter from behind a barrier. And I think that's a bit shit if you get carded for that because, after all, fans paying for tickets and what have you. And, uh, you know, I I fully support the laws about giving the referee more respect. Onya Dimba shouldn't be telling the referee to give someone a card, even if he's done it in a rather jovial manner, but to give him a card for it especially a second yellow, extremely harsh. So as we say, Rotherham had that sending off in the 50th minute when they were 2-0 up and Blackburn went on to equal things. So a controversial point to say at the very least there. West Brom got their first win of the season by beating Swansea 3-2. The highlight of this was a comical own goal by Swansea goalkeeper Carl Rushworth. Ball hits the crossbar and then the back of his head before going in. And great stuff. Great win for West Brom, though. And finally, Watford v Plymouth ended goalless. Watford were the better side, but Plymouth possibly had the best chance to win it. Only other thing to mention is Plymouth got the train to Watford for this game. And because of cancellations, most of the squad had to stand for the entire trip. That's a four-hour journey, Justin. Welcome to Tory Britain, guys. This is what it is. <laughs> I bet those tickets weren't cheap either, were they? <laughs> um, we were talking about teams having to choose between destroying the planet or getting three points at Plymouth. Well, Plymouth have got the right idea, haven't they? Public transport. It's the way forward, I suppose. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and Gustavo Hamer has left Coventry to move to Sheffield United for a fee reported to be around £15 million. Justin, you said he wouldn't move. Your reputation as a journalist has been tarnished. It's a good job I'm not a journalist then, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I suppose so. Um, It's strange, isn't it? Because I get a bit of a genuine emotional attachment with some of these players and Hamer is one of those players because... I really enjoyed watching him play football. Absolutely. It was such a joy to watch. Um, and, you know, I hate sort of oozing over players like this, but because it is a bit cringe sometimes, but he really was a pleasure to watch. He just, all-round game was fantastic. When he first came and we coined him the Hamer Badger, it's because he was, you know, he was nipping at the ankles of opposition players. He was getting yellow cards and committing a lot of fouls, but he had that he had that quality with the ball as well. You know, he could break up play, he could start counter-attacks, he could score goals, he could make that incisive pass. Yeah, he's he's um he's a he's a fantastic footballer and deserves his move to the Premier League. He's hitting the Premier League with his peak years, and I think a lot of people will be surprised by him. 
I think he's a cracking signing for Sheffield United. I've been a bit worried about Sheffield United in the Premier League, but I think that's a really good signing for them. But as a fan, he is the perfect player you want in midfield, isn't he? Because he works his socks off, isn't afraid to get down and dirty, stick his, you know, studs in someone's <laughs> Achilles. Um, but at the same time, he is just such a wonderfully talented player when it comes to running with the ball, playing, you know, a 30-yard wonder pass, scoring goals. He's just got it all. So he's a Brilliant player. Also enjoyed uh, seeing on Twitter him having shots with uh, commentary fans uh, after sealing this move. But yeah, it's going to be a real shame uh, not to see him in a commentary shirt this season. Having said that, may not be long before we see him again, Justin, because I'm not sure about Sheffield United staying up in the Premier League this season. Bristol City have sold Alex Scott to Bournemouth for a reported fee of £25 million. Goodbye, star boy. Is he a future England player, Justin? I think we've both said that he will be playing for England at some point, haven't we? We've both predicted it. I, I, I think he will. He's got all the technical ability. It's just, it's just adding that uh, instinct to you know, be a bit more incisive in your final pass and you're scoring more goals, creating more assists. That's always the argument with players. But I think um, in the system that it's uh, Iriola, Ariola, uh, the guy, the, the Bournemouth manager now. I can't remember yep. his name. Can't pronounce. You got it. Butchered his name. Um, but he's yeah he's he's going to play a possession based system which I think Scott's going to thrive in so he's going to be a really really interesting watch so yeah I, I do think he will be playing for England in the next couple of years uh, without a doubt yeah I I think he's a future England player I think I agree with you dribbling ability fantastic loves to work hard isn't afraid to put in a tackle himself does need to work on his final ball and perhaps scoring more goals as well but you know he's got that raw talent there mm-hmm. that you love to see in a player he's really exciting to watch and it's been a joy covering him over the past couple of years now he's been asked to play multiple positions but has shone in uh, each position so that's been a uh, it's been a real pleasure being able to commentate on him over that time. Leeds forward Willie Nonto is refusing to play for the club. He missed both their League Cup fixture and the game against Birmingham. In a statement, Leeds said Nonto will not be sold this summer and that the situation is now an internal disciplinary matter. Uh, where do you stand on this, Justin? It's really disappointing from my perspective. I know it doesn't really hold much in the way in the weight of it, but it's disappointing from him. It's disappointing from his agent. You know, you're you're 19. You're tarnishing yourself before your career's even got going. And I know Everton have been the main club he's been linked with. If you go to Everton, you're going to be in the same situation next summer because they're coming down to the Championship, aren't they? <laughs> Let's be honest. You you, well, what's the point in in causing all this fuss only to be in exactly the same scenario this time next year? Pointless. Absolutely pointless. You make a fair point. I'm not sure I'm as certain as you that Everton will be uh, playing in the Championship next season. But if he was going to all this fuss to play for a mid-table Premier League team like, I don't know, Burnley or something like that, um, or a team I think will be a a mid-table team this season, maybe a bad example, but you see my point. Um, Someone who won't be in danger of going down. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. That makes sense. Burnley's a bad yeah. example, um, but that that, that mid-table yeah. Premier League team makes sense. Yeah, yeah. you see my point. Um, but the fact that he's, he's gone through all this trouble, causing all this drama, is it is disappointing. I do think players seem to forget at times they have signed a contract with a club. So as much as they want to move away, they have literally legally agreed to stay with the club until a certain period of time but it, it is unfortunately his agent isn't it from the sounds of it who's you know getting in his ear saying 
well, all these other players have left. Why don't you do the same? So it is very disappointing. Um, I'm not sure where he's going to be playing next month because as much as he wants to move away, it sounds like Everton may have moved on to Jack Harrison. So, yeah, whether it's going to be interesting to see what does happen if he is still at Leeds because he's got a lot of uh, apologies to make if he... If he um, <laughs> If, if he is there. Uh, Swansea have signed Charlie Patino on loan from Arsenal. The 19-year-old midfielder was on loan at Blackpool last season. Stood out in a pretty poor Blackpool team, didn't he? So we'll be interested to see if he can kick on. I like him a lot. I think in, in the right system, the right under the right manager, he can really he can really uh, thrive. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Michael Duff can bring out of him. You look at Michael Duff's impact with Luke O'Connell last season at Barnsley. I think Charlie Patino might have a similar role in the team. Um, uh, at Swansea so yeah he's, he's, he's a wonderful technician and certainly got a lot of time to develop so I'm looking forward to see how he, how he does at uh, yeah, Swansea this season Yeah Swansea fans have got pressure on them as well because obviously there was the fantastic chant by Blackpool fans last season Black, Swansea fans need to up their game and make sure they have just as good a chant mm-hmm. um, but yeah Patino interestingly was being linked with a permanent move away from Arsenal because he said he didn't want to go out on loan again Arsenal sound like they may have stood firm and said we want you around for the future but I think he's he's a really good player a really talented young lad who was playing really well in a pretty poor Blackpool team last season at the age of 18 so he's a year older now um, got a great manager to work under with Michael Duff who has previous for developing young players so yeah this makes perfect sense for me on that front uh, QPR have signed defender Steve Cook for an undisclosed fee from Forrest on a two-year deal a good move Justin I think it is a good move he's an experienced defender and he's I mean he's never been blessed with a electric pace but he's he's a, he's a good player he's a good solid championship defender I'm surprised that uh, clubs didn't pick him up last season when he wasn't getting any games at Forrest I'm surprised Forrest didn't play him either because they were a mess defensively at times last season as well. So, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a bit of a coup for uh, for for QPR and Gareth Ainsworth and a good move for Steve Cook. And finally, have you seen the list of fines for Birmingham players this season? It includes two hundred and fifty pounds for not saying good morning to the reception staff. There's also one hundred pounds if you get your phone out during the first thirty minutes of meal times on a match day. What have you uh, made of this, Justin? Well, manners cost nothing. But in this case, if you don't have them, they'll cost you £250. <laughs> yes. That's it, isn't it? Very well put. <laughs> <laughs> Just be um, nice. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, the thing is, this must have been a thing before. There must have been players literally walking past the reception staff and just not saying anything. I just have this image of a receptionist saying hi and the Birmingham player just growling at them and saying, don't you dare talk to me or something like that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's good that these are being implemented, I suppose. It does feel a bit, you know, authoritarian. Most managers have these things in place. Frank Lampard had a ridiculous one, didn't he? Uh, at Chelsea and Sean Dyche had some weird ones at at Burnley as well. I think it's normal. It's just very rare that they they, they leak out to the public. But these these are nice ones. These are normal ones. You'd expect you know football clubs to be doing this. So yeah, I'm all for it. Definitely say good morning to the staff. They're they're nice people. I think. Yeah. Otherwise, it will cost you um, two hundred and fifty pounds. What in what other situation in the world of employment would you possibly find yourself getting fined two hundred and fifty pounds apart from football for not saying good morning to the reception staff? Is crazy, really, isn't it? Um, let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this: Which manager will be sacked first? 
Gareth Ainsworth, Tony Mowbray, Isco Munoz, or someone else. Isco Munoz, let's be honest. It's, yeah, yeah, I'll stick with that one. Well, people don't agree with you, Justin. What? 43% have said Ainsworth. No. Uh, 26% said Munoz. 20% said Mowbray. Quite a lot for Mowbray, that, isn't it? Mm. Um, who else has been suggested? Michael Carrick. Not sure about that. Um, whoever's in charge of Watford. Um, yeah, that's that's the only other suggestions, really. A lot of people seem to be questioning Mowbray, but as we were saying before, he was under a bit of pressure, mm-hmm. wasn't he, after, um, it was. after they lost in the playoff semi-finals. So... Unfortunately, won't surprise me. Um, who's going to finish 12th this season? Bristol City, Preston, Stoke or West Brom? Very 12th place team. I'm going to say Bristol City. There'll be a little bit of progress there, but they're destined to be mid-table team until, sadly, Nigel Pearson departs. I think I'm going to go Preston in that regard. 37% of people said Preston, 24% said Bristol City, 25% said Stoke, 14% said West Brom. And finally, is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? Ooh, this old debate... This was yeah, the. This is a callback. This is the. This is the foundations of which the podcast was built on. Is the hot dog a sandwich? I think it is a sandwich. Yeah. Interesting. I thought your thing before was that it wasn't. I thought it was that it was. I'm not going to listen no. back to four years worth of episodes to no. get Who it back. Cares? <laughs> but is um, it? I suppose technically, I mean, if a sandwich is bread and filling, then yeah. It's a sandwich, isn't it, I suppose? Or is it a roll then, though? Because it's not technically a sandwich. It's not like a flatbread. It's a rolled cob. Oh, God, we're getting into it already. I always thought a sandwich was, or a cob, or a roll, or whatever you want to call it, was a variation of a sandwich anyway. Well, it's just bread filling bread. Exactly. Um, Okay, well, that's fine then. That's that's one part of the debate. Now the next part is a hot dog a sandwich. Yes. Okay, then. What did people say? 89% said no. 89% 89% of people are wrong. Uh, 11% <laughs> said yes. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin's going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if he would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and I would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if I were to then say Weymouth, then I'd lose a life. So all I need to do is name all of them without losing all my lives. Justin, how many lives are you giving me? And what is today's question? Spoken to Simon, obviously, and he's going to give you two lives. It's a tricky, tricky one this week. It's a grey dog. So I want you to name the eighth young, eight youngest goal scorers in Championship history. Fucking hell, that is outrageous. This is Simon Grayson Tate for late. This isn't some walk in the park, Ryan. This is this is uh, the pinnacle of game show things on on not TV and radio. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say. Simon Grayson seems to be a lot more generous um, when it's me who's having to ask the question. So I don't know what he's playing at here. Um, youngest goal scorers ever in the championship. Uh, Aaron Ramsey. You've lost a life already. Well done. This is a ridiculous question. No, it's not. Just cast your mind back. This is actually quite easy once you start thinking. There are a couple of left field ones. Actually, three, um, three or four. Uh, honestly, I have no idea. I think Gareth Bale might be on there. You're correct. He was 17 and 21 days, 2007. He scored for South... 2006, sorry, he scored Southampton. Southampton against Derby on his debut. How young was he? Uh, so compared to all the others. 
Um, so there is the youngest is 16 and two months. Um, so there's quite a few months. So what's no, but where was Bale on the rankings? 17 years old and 21 days. So just... no, where was he on the rankings? Was oh, he first, oh, yeah, that's a really third? good point. Yeah, I should have listened properly to your question. He was seventh. <laughs> he was seventh. Wow. Okay. So there can't be that many players who have actually, you know, been earlier or younger than him when they scored. Um, can I have an extra life? Because I'll give you an I feel extra like life. two lives for this yeah. is outrageous. I'll give you an extra life because um, this is pathetic. I'll go with Mason Bennett. Incorrect. Um, um, yeah, maybe. I, I think I might need 10 lives on this to even get half of them. Um, I, I honestly have no idea, Justin. This is outrageously right. hard. I will go with... Uh, Will Hughes? Incorrect again. Right, I'm going to give you three clues for the top three. One just, of them... Just tell me the answers. Oh, this fine. is so difficult. I can't no, believe you this, thought this I'd get horrendous. anywhere close to eight. There'll be listeners in here disappointed that this is not carried on. I'm not sure they will. The youngest is Jude Bellingham. That makes sense. Fair enough. 16 and two months. The second youngest is Ryan Sessegnon. 16 and three months. Fair enough. Again. Okay, next one. Next one is Theo Walcott, 16 and 7 months. Don't need the age at this point because I don't care. Just tell me the players. Connor Wickham, 16. Fine. Andre Dezel. That's a, that's a difficult one. I was never going to get that in a million years. You could give me a million lives and I would never have said him. Next one. Dan Gosling for Plymouth. Fuck off. Next one. <laughs> Gareth Bale. Next one. Simon Walton. Leeds. Who's Simon Walton? He played a lot of games for Leeds in in the mid two thousands. I literally have no idea who Simon Walton is. Well, Am I being stupid here? Yeah, yeah. It's your championship knowledge is being questionable here. Now plays for Haven and Waterlooville. Played thirty four games for Leeds, yeah. and has been in League One now. Uh, uh, non League, sorry, for the past. My God. Eight years. Look, a, a true championship expert would have got at least four of these. Would have remembered someone who played a handful of games for Leeds. He really. was a legend for Leeds, as far as I know. That's an outrageous question. I'm now considering oh, whether you should ever do Simon Grayson Take for Late ever again, because that's <laughs> disgraceful. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Simon Grayson Take for Late. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to give you a preview of all the games which are coming out next week. So we look forward to seeing you then. We'll also talk about any news that's happened uh, between now and then. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops, if we're stopping to get gas. 
You will be timed. <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> but you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.